0: and welcome also. And I think this does need more volume, clearly I can. Hide. It's on, but not very loud. So again, my name's Sally Armstrong, a teacher here at Spirit Rock, and I've taught this retreat almost every year. Philip and I uh, began this retreat, as he said, in 2004. because of our love of this practice and how important it's been for us as practitioners and all of us here as teachers, really value the importance of concentration in deepening and steadying one's practice. And I know many of you are here as return students in this retreat. How many people have done this retreat before? Just put your hands up. Well, wow, it's a lot. It's almost half, I would say, my bad calculations. Um, but that's a testament to how central, how important this practice is for us and for all of us. And it's a a retreat for more experienced students. There are prerequisites because we really feel people need a a grounding in mindfulness practice before they can really benefit from this kind of retreat, which is a little more technical than some retreats. And we'll be using perhaps more technical terms or Pali terms. Pali is the language the Buddha's teachings were written down in. So it's a little more advanced, you would you could say. So welcome, and I hope that's what you're looking for, because that's what you're going to get. <laughs> but the shared intention is really powerful, that we're all here with this interest or love or appreciation for this practice of concentration, and you will feel that, the power of that shared intention as we go through these days. All, uh, all of the talks, all of the instructions, all of our practice centering on this technique, this practice of concentration. The Pali word is samadhi, so you'll hear us use that often. Um, We translate it as concentration. It's not a bad translation, but it's also not a great one. Uh, because when we use the English word concentration, it can have a sense of narrowness or even tension in it, in, in a laser-like focus of concentration. And the Pali word samadhi really is pointing to something quite different as an experience. So undistracted or collected, uh, unified, a better translations of this word samadhi, and that's what we'll be pointing to again and again. One of our teachers, Richard Shankman, who often teaches this retreat, has written a whole book on the practice of Samadhi, and it's called Samadhi. It's a great book. And he talks about the definition of this word, the literal definition of Samadhi. It says, generally translated as concentration, it's derived from the Pali prefix sam, S-A-M, meaning together, and the root da, meaning to put or place. It is related to the Pali verb, Samadahati, meaning to put together, to bring together, to concentrate. Thus, samadhi entails the unifying of the mind in a steady, undistracted awareness. And these are the qualities that we'll be talking about, um, describing, giving instructions for and encouraging you to incorporate into your practice. The unification of mind, the collectedness of mind. We all have the capacity to deepen our ability to be present. In our culture, many people are losing that. In the busyness, in the stress, in, the, in just the multiple, multiple sets of input that all of us have coming at us all the time we live in a culture of busyness where busyness is actually celebrated. It's like any time you ask someone H- how are you, what are you, do- you know, what are you up to? Oh busy, crazy busy, so busy, you know from morning to night, busy busy, and it's like it's a badge of honor if you're busy and if you're not busy it's like well, what are you doing with yourself? doesn't anyone care about you or you know what you're doing is not valuable if you're valuable you're busy. And we really want to emphasize another value which is you know, to actually discover presence and stillness and simplicity. And so retreats, and particularly a retreat like this, offers, that, offers us that opportunity to step out of, away from that busyness culture, and that sense of doing and rushing, and entering into the stillness, the silence of retreat. One of the huge supports to that is, of course, extricating ourselves from the complexity of our lives into the simplicity of our little room, whatever it looks like with its small bed and a few coat hangers, giving up email, internet, texting. You you know, we've tracked year by year the the way that phones have uh, grown in their capacity and the cell phone reception's gotten better. It used to be impossible to get it anywhere over the hill. You know, you drove over White's Hill and it was like out of range, you know, any phone call, and then gradually, year by year, so it's kind of available around here now. Really recommend you practice the renunciation of that because it is such a, uh, a no. I I won't go into the <laughs> negative realm, but such a distraction, I will say. So to really give yourself to the retreat and not, not enter that realm, of connecting through Facebook or social media or internet or whatever it is, texting phone calls. Here you have that possibility that's so rare to be in a place that supports practice, supports this stillness, supports silence, to be out in nature, to get in touch with the phases of the moon. Most of us live in a way that we're never outside at night, or if we are, we're driving and there's lots of lights. Here you'll be walking out at night and really being in that sweetness of the night air. Let yourself be with that. The simplicity of retreat is such an important aspect of practice. In the past few years, I've gone a couple of times to India on pilgrimage, where you go and visit the holy sites associated with the life, the teaching, and the death of the Buddha, and it's really very powerful. Most of the sites are in rural India where Things haven't changed that much, uh, even though it's, you know, 2,600 2, years later or whatever, still ox carts and threshing wheat and growing rice in paddy fields. And you really get a sense of that measured pace of life. The Buddha walked everywhere. It's actually part of the Vinaya that monks don't take rides on anything, not that there was much available. An ox cart isn't that much faster, but he walked everywhere, and you really get a sense of that. What's wonderful about retreat centers is they offer that to us a little bit. For this time we take out of our busy lives, we enter that timeless realm. And you might know that today is Friday, but I guarantee you in a few days you won't know what day. you would be looking at watch going, well I came and it was three days, is that Thursday or Wednesday? And that's actually part of the beauty of retreat is just letting go of that sense of being caught in the time-space continuum in such a rigid way. So really surrendering and dropping in to what's offered here, making the most of this precious time. We'll be talking a lot about Concentration, As I said, all of the talks, all of the instructions, we'll actually be repeating ourselves a lot, because there's only so much you can say, but it bears repeating, so we'll be saying it over and over again. And one of the things that we'll hope that this retreat clarifies for you is the difference between samatha practice that leads to samadhi, concentration, and vipassana, or insight practice. Mindfulness is the basis of both, but there's a difference um, in, in just an emphasis. Most retreats we do here are vipassana retreats where we use mindfulness to notice changing objects, to be in the flow of experience and really open to everything that's happening at the six Sense doors, and particularly noticing the three characteristics of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. Focus of the majority of retreats that we do here. Samatha, or tranquility practice, also call, uh, translated as calm abiding, is sometimes uh, samatha is sometimes used synonymously with samadhi, but it really is the practice of calm abiding. Samadhi concentration, the experience of concentration, the state of mind of samadhi is the result of samatha practice. Samatha practice is usually very simple. They take taking one object and focusing on that rather than the range or the breadth of different experiences. So we can sometimes see them as quite separate practices, quite distinct. Sometimes they're unified and they're not so distinct, and different teachers will emphasize different aspects of that continuum. But I really see them as a spectrum of practices where at either end they look quite different summer to practice, to insight practice. And again, I'm using some technical terms, we'll clarify them more as the days go on. So at either end, they look quite different. But most of us, are most of the time, practicing in the middle realm, where they're both being cultivated. In most meditation practice, you're cultivating concentration. You need that steadiness of mind, but you're using it to be aware of changing objects. Here we're going to do samatha practice, where we choose a simple object, like the breath, and we return again and again to that, with a sense of not so much including everything else that's going on. So it's just a a difference in um, emphasis. As I said, that's one of the things we really hope that this retreat can clarify for you what those different practices feel like, and how to put emphasis more in one place or another in a skillful way in response to how the practice is unfolding. I'm just recently back from a trip to the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone National Parks. I'd never been there before, went with my husband and another friend, and it was just an amazing trip. Those of you that have been there know how beautiful those areas are, the Grand Tetons, majestic mountains, and alpine meadows, and wildflowers and lakes, and Yellowstone with its geothermal activity, and wild animals. I mean, it was just amazing. They call parts of it the Serengeti of the United States, and it really is like that, these vast meadows just filled with bison and elk, and you can just see all kinds of things. I mean, we often if you live in the city and you come out to Spirit Rock this can feel a little wild. We have our little herd of tame deer and a few turkeys and that can seem pretty exciting but Yellowstone's another level again. But it really got me thinking about this difference between the insight practice and the concentration practice being out there with all those animals that the prey animals, the animals that are preyed upon, the chipmunks and the the squirrels and the deer, they, they're more like insight practice, you know, they're very aware of changing objects. What was that? What was that? And Am I safe? And They're looking at, they have that sort of very lively energy but always on alert, this kind of alertness uh, in their being. The predators on the other hand have like this laser-like focus of, and when they track their prey, you know, you've had a sense if you've seen that on all these television, documentaries, or if you've seen it in real life, it's quite amazing to watch that steadiness of focus. One of the amazing things we got to see, we were guided in our trip by a friend who's lived in this area in Jackson for for many years, and she's a real outdoor person, so she said, do this, do this, go here, go there, look for this, get that, and so she rented us a spotting scope and told us how to go look for wolves. And so we, you know, knew where to drive, we had to get up before dawn and drive into the park, and there was a group of people out there. You know, we had this big spotting scope, But, but you never know what you'll see, they're wild animals, they don't appear on cue, it's not Disneyland. But the first thing that someone saw was a grizzly bear. Luckily, far enough away that we felt great seeing the grizzly bear, it was far enough away, but you could see it very clearly. And then we saw there was a wolf herding the grizzly bear. And what what the people who were there who watched this every day told us what was happening, the wolf's den was a little further away and this alpha female was actually herding the grizzly bear away from the den. And it's amazing that a wolf, a grizzly bear is pretty big but she was intent enough on this focus, on this purpose, that she did it, and this grizzly bear was moving, but we got to watch it for quite a while, it was amazing. And so eventually the grizzly went over this little rise, we couldn't see it anymore, and the wolf just sat down, and it looked like it was just lying down, but it was facing the exact direction the wolf went, I mean the grizzly bear went. And I just thought again, that's, that's the kind of concentration, she didn't look, she never looked fearful or ill at ease, but intent in her focus. And so it's not the greatest of analogies, you know, prey, animals, predators, but that difference, you know, this is what we'll be pointing to again and again and again. Um, In the text, if you've read any of the teachings, the suttas, as we call them, the Pali Canon, um, concentration practice is referred to again and again and again. You just have to start reading to see how central it is to the Buddha's understanding of practice. And when the Buddha talked about concentration, he defined it as the four jhanas. Jhanas are absorption states, and we'll be talking more about those. And it's getting people are getting more interested in this kind of practice, in concentration practice, in jhana practice. Just want to stay up front, we don't advertise this as a jhana retreat, because for most people it takes some time to develop to that level of concentration. Weeks, if not months. So what? that's not our intention here, but we do want to give you a training in the basis of developing concentration practice and know that every one of you can increase in that, in your understanding of concentration practices and how to develop them, how to use them skillfully in your practice, and certainly to deepen that this possibility is there for all of us in in deepening our concentration. So again and again, we'll be emphasizing collecting and unifying the mind, that this is what the, the focus of our practice is, the intention of our practice. It's not about getting any specific or particular state. So there's no success or failure here. There's no grades that get given. It's not to get your badge if I got to first jhana or whatever. Who knows what might happen? But it really is to know this territory and know how to use it in a skillful way, these practices, because they are incredibly helpful. There are many practices that we can use to develop concentration. One of the ones that many of us have practiced with, it's very traditional, other Brahma Viharas practices of loving-kindness or metta, um, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity, all can be used to deepen concentration. We'll actually have a period of metta practice every day because it is a beautiful concentration practice, but also because it sweetens the mind. Um, so we find it a really valuable... Um, support for the concentration practice to do some metta but you can do mantra practices visualization practices there's a great text called the vasudhimaga the path of purification that really is a a huge compendium of practices and and how this whole path unfolds and it's got a whole section on concentration and it lists 40 different concentration practices. The ones that I've mentioned and many more, very esoteric ones like casinas which are colored discs and meditating on elements. We're not going to go into any of those. We keep it really simple and just use the breath because it's it's a very traditional practice. It's a tried and true practice. We're all here sitting and breathing. We all have access to the breath. And so we'll be using that as our primary focus for concentration. For some people, the breath has its challenges, and we'll certainly talk about those and work with you individually in interviews. But that is the main technique we'll be using, whether it's at the nostrils in a very simple, um, refined awareness of breath, or a more engaged whole body breathing. Um, Any way can work to deepen concentration. There are some factors that are really helpful, and again, we'll be repeating these over and over again in our instructions and in the talks. I call them the seven factors of concentration. You might be familiar with a list called the seven factors of awakening or enlightenment that the Buddha said are really important our meditation practice. They of course still apply to this practice, but there are some we particularly want to emphasize that help us in concentration. And they begin, I begin my list with relaxation. We'll say it over and over again that just finding a sense of ease in the body and the mind really is a helpful orientation. We'll be starting every sitting with inviting you to find a sense of relaxation in the body, and then in the mind. And then contentment or happiness. The proximate cause of concentration is not striving, it's not efforting, it's not willpower, it is sukha, or happiness or contentment. It's not something we can even will ourselves to experience, but we can incline the mind in that direction. So again, we'll be emphasizing over and over again, sweetening the mind. Relaxing, kindness, gentle awareness, all of these things. And then we start to build out of that with continuity or steadiness of practice. Always important on retreats, but here even more so. And the continuity of practice is supported by two factors, and again more technical terms, but we'll be explaining them more vitaka and vichara, aiming and sustaining. When we say continuity, we don't mean, you know, landing on the breath and hanging on to it with tightness, you know, for a whole sitting, but being willing to begin again with each breath, even each in-breath or each out-breath, with each step. So there's that sense of willingness to keep showing up, to keep being present. Vitaka and vichara. And then there's balanced effort. We do need to make effort in this practice. It, it does have intentionality in it, it's, its very nature has intentionality in it. But it's a balanced effort, not too tight and not too loose. So again, this will be a big part of exploring in our practice. What does that ac- actually look like? So these factors are all building on each other. And this, once we get the balanced effort, once we, and we're always playing with that, it's not like we land there and that's you know, good to go. It's always a calibration that we're working with. We start to develop the calm or the stillness that this practice invites. We start to really more deeply enter into the silence. This is a very important part, particularly for concentration practice. Stillness of mind and body, starting to calm, these, this is the direction we go to. It's, it's not so much the insight practice of curiosity and investigation and, and kind of looking deeply. It really is a surrender to stillness, to quietness. Suzuki Roshi, that great Japanese uh, Zen teacher, has this to say about concentration. He's talking about zazen, which is the Zen style of meditation practice. He says, in zazen practice, We say your mind should be concentrated on your breathing, but the way to keep your mind on your breathing is to forget all about yourself and just to sit and feel your breathing. If you are concentrated on your breathing, you will forget yourself. And if you forget yourself, you will be concentrated on your breathing. I do not know which is first. So maybe your koan on this retreat is kind of to discover which is first, or to play with both and to see how, you know, you put a little effort here and you let go a little there, and the practice just comes together. And then the last factor of concentration is surrender. And this is so important in this practice because there are so many distractions, so many things we can do with the mind and body, and all we're asking of ourselves is just to sit and be with the breath in the simplest of ways. So we have to surrender again and again and again to the breath, to the posture, to the schedule, to the whole retreat container. So really um, coming to that again and again and again, just letting go of a sense of agenda, of a sense of doing, and just being with this simplicity of breath and the practice. And ultimately, we need to remember that our goal isn't to get concentrated. That may be an intermediary goal or intention, but the goal is to discover freedom or happiness or liberation for ourselves here and now. And that concentration is a really important and valuable tool in that unfolding But it's not an end in and of itself. As I said, throughout the suttas, the Buddha talks about developing concentration and then turning the mind to insight. And that's the direction we'll go in this retreat. Also, just seeing how we can use concentration in this way. So as I said, I'm just back from this trip up to the mountain. In the mountains, did a lot of hiking, often up at eight, ten thousand feet. And, you know, it's a challenge at first as you get used to altitude, but you really do get used to it. And then coming back down to, you know, we're not far above sea level here. You probably know p- athletes train at altitude uh, to get that kind of hit of oxygen, I guess it is. that just. And so my husband and I, we do this bike ride, and we got back on Friday. We do this bike ride it's about 24 miles. And without even trying, we cut a number of minutes off our time just feeling that... that uh, impact of the training at altitude that, that we've been doing. Concentration practice is a bit like training at altitude. It really is this kind of wind in your sails, this kickstart of practice. As it deepens, it brings a great sense of collectedness of mind, of, of clarity of intention. It can be very motivating and inspiring as you feel the effects of concentration deepening. And we can start to discover these qualities that the Buddha himself talked about, of the mind becoming malleable, wieldy, and strong. I love those words. This is the possibility, the potential of concentration, and we can feel that for ourselves. Each one of us has this capacity. We all have different capacities, and we all come in in different places, but that's the direction of this practice, and we can all have a sense of that. But as I said, concentration is just kind of the wind in your sails. It's the, it's the supporting factor, but it's also what grounds or deepens or stills. It's your anchor, and you'll feel that too, this steadiness, this stillness that can develop. And that's what we're inclining <coughs> towards. That's what the goal of this practice is, not just the concentration itself, but this ultimate stilling, this this quenching of the fires of greed, aversion, and delusion, concentration is the anchoring that, that develops his capacity to drop into that place where this freedom that the Buddha talked about is possible. I was reminded as I was reflecting on giving this talk and talking about this kind of stillness, this anchoring of the the opening sutta of the Samyutta Nikaya, the, collect, uh, the Connected Discourses, it's a huge two-volume text. And so it's the very first discourse, and the Buddha is talking to a deva. And a deva is basically an angel, lives in another realm. But they often visit the Buddha, and he teaches them and instructs them. And the, the deva is apparently asked, how, how did you get enlightened? And this is the Buddha's reply. I crossed over the flood, which is basically the conditioned realm, samsara. I crossed over the flood without pushing forward, but without staying in place. And the deva says, but how, dear sir, did you cross over the flood without pushing forward, but without staying in place? And the Buddha replied, when I pushed forward, I was whirled about. When I stayed in place, I sank. And so I crossed the flood without pushing forward and without staying in place." This is the koan of where this practice leads. It's not about getting anywhere, holding on to any state, but some ultimate letting go that transcends, you know, our ordinary mind, without pushing forward, without staying in place, crossing the flood. So I look forward to sharing these next 10 days with you, to getting to know you and to supporting your practice, and I'm really happy that you're here. So thank you for being here, for listening, and I think I'm now turning over to Temple. Hi, everyone. Let's stand up for a second and give our bodies some ease. One of the things you'll discover on this retreat is that it's actually difficult for the mind to come into its resting place if there's a lot of physical pain. So allow yourself, when you need to, stand up and stretch. That's helpful. There might be some pain we can't avoid, but... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.